just working on my sermon and could hear the praise team in here practicing and I came in here and told them, I said, y'all gave me a little more inspiration tonight, so if this message is in any way better than it usually is, you can give them the credit for that. Uh, they were my muse, so to speak, as I was putting this together, but uh, what an appropriate song, Overwhelmed, as we think about God and what he's done for us uh, in Christ, especially as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and seeing the life of Jesus unfold and all the events and all the things that he endured for our sake how could you not be overwhelmed by this savior and so i invite you to open your bible with me this morning to the gospel of mark chapter 14 today we are in verses 53 through 65 back in the spring of 1993 i received that dreaded letter in the mail that many of you all have received before two four-letter words jury duty that's right i was 18 years old just fresh out of high school and i'm like man they didn't waste any time at all to try to recruit me and get me into this and so i went down there uh to the courtroom and as we gathered not knowing what to expect and they called out several names and my name was one of the names that they called out so they pulled us aside and i thought oh no i'm in trouble now they they done figured out what i did many years ago or whatever but anyway uh come to find out i was called to be on the grand jury and if you're not familiar with what that is, over the next several months, uh, a group of us met and we had to hear evidence and we had to hear testimony from folks to, to decide whether or not there, were, there was enough evidence to issue an indictment. So we were basically the ones who decided whether or not there was going to be a trial, a criminal trial or not. And so it was really a pretty fascinating experience uh, to be part of, but we got to, as I said, listen to testimonies and read of evidence and sometimes got to go out and, and make uh, uh, trips places and, and do some investigating. But today in our text, we're going to see that Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin and basically what was kind of a grand jury event. So the Sanhedrin was going to determine whether or not there was enough evidence to convict Jesus of crimes. And Jesus' action in this instance serves for us a valuable lesson. By God's grace, you must take a stand for the truth of Christ, regardless of the outcome. Even when doing so might lead to a negative circumstance on your behalf, you must, by God's grace as a Christian, take a firm stance upon the truth of God through Jesus Christ. I want to invite you, if you're able this morning, please stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. I'll be reading from Mark 14, starting at verse 53, and these words were written by Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the officers warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death and they were not finding any for many were giving false testimony against him but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him saying we heard him say I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, 
Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers received him with slaps in the face. Let's pray together. Father, as we have gathered this morning and as we have opened your word, Lord, I believe we don't fully understand the magnitude of the event that is taking place this morning in this place. As believers who have been called out of death into life, been called from sin into forgiveness, as we have gathered here this morning and we have opened up this perfect Word of God, the inspired Word of God and the power that this Word contains, Lord, I pray that you would just allow us, just even for a, a brief moment, to understand the magnitude of what we are doing in this moment. And Father, help us by your grace to understand these words, understand the truth of this story and what it means for us. Father, impress upon our hearts how we ought to live as Christians. Because this event took place, what are we supposed to do? Father, I pray if there be anyone here today that's never trusted in Christ, I ask, Lord, by the power of your Spirit and by your Word, you would open their eyes to the truth. They are lost, they are condemned, they are hopeless apart from surrendering to Jesus. Lead them to that understanding and lead them to that step of surrender today. Father, anoint this time and may your will be done and may Christ be glorified. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. Here in chapter 14 of Mark's Gospel, we have what is the last hours of Jesus before his crucifixion on the cross. And these events that begin to unfold do so in rapid succession. And in fact, it's at this point within 12 hours or so that Jesus will be hanging dead on the cross. And what we see in this text, this passage before us, is repetition of a certain word. That word is testimony. Over and over again, it talks about testimony, testimony, giving testimony, false testimony. Even the word witnesses, it's the same word. And in fact, it's the same Greek word in which we get the English word martyr. Martyr. One who takes a stand. One who makes a, a testimony. For Christ, one who is a witness for Christ and is willing to do so regardless of the outcome. That's what we see Jesus doing, being a martyr for the truth, and he shows for us how we should face martyrdom as well. The first thing we need to do is prepare for confrontation. The confrontation, it will come. As followers of Jesus, as he was opposed, so too will you be opposed for your faith. 
And the way it plays out, as we see in the story here today, it happens even now, there will be disputing with Jesus. Those who will attempt to dispute with Jesus, those who argue against his claims. Verse 53 says, They led him away to the high priests. And notice that word again, all. All the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they gathered together. Earlier, Jesus said to his disciples, after they all drank from the cup, he said, you will all fall away. They said they all denied it. And then when he was arrested, it said they all fled. They fled from him all. So while the disciples were fleeing from Jesus, his enemies were gathering all against Jesus. The disciples fled, yet Jesus was led away passively allowing himself to be led away disputing with Jesus because they rejected his claims verse 54 speaks about Peter in the courtyard and we'll put that on pause for a minute because we'll see next week it goes back to talking about Peter in the courtyard this is yet another example in fact the last example of a mark and sandwich in the gospel dealing with Peter in juxtaposition to Christ as Christ was on trial, how does Peter handle being on trial? We'll come back to that next week. But yet the enemies were disputing with Jesus. They did not like what he had to say, what he stood for. And likewise, they'll do the same with you. There will be enemies who will dispute you with you about your faith. But also there will be an attempted dispatching of Jesus as we see in the story today, verses 55 and 56. They were trying to dispatch of Jesus. It says, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony, there's our word there, against Jesus to put him to death. It's interesting, you see, because the verdict had already been rendered and the sentence was already passed. They said, Jesus is guilty. He deserves to be put to death. Now, let's see if we can't come up with some evidence. It's kind of backwards, isn't it? What a travesty of justice. This man deserves to die. Now let's figure out how we can make that happen. Let's figure out exactly what he did to deserve death. And it says in verse 55 that they kept trying to obtain testimony. You see, because it says in verse 56, many were giving false testimony. Their testimony was not consistent. You see, it was false. It was inaccurate. It was inconsistent. There's testimony, there's evidence, but it's not matching up. And so that didn't work. Let's keep trying. Okay, bring the next two guys in. That doesn't work. Bring the next two guys in because according to Jewish law, it takes two witnesses who would agree on this. And they were having a hard time finding that but yet they kept trying because they hated Jesus so much they, was not, they were not going to stop. And so too will the enemies of Christ today when they find out you are a believer, they will attempt the dispatch of Jesus by attacking you. And as we read the story of this trial, if, you, if we want to even call it that, we see a lot of illegal actions taking place by these religious leaders. They were trying Jesus at night. Uh, they were 
trying to seek testimony against him consistently. They were not trying him in the temple, but they were at the house of Caiaphas, the, the high priest at the time. There was a lot of things they were doing that were illegal because they were trying to expedite this. They wanted to hurry up, get Jesus sentenced, get him condemned, and have him put to death. Why? Because the Passover was coming up. And if we want to get rid of Jesus before the Passover, we've got to make this happen right here, right now. We've got to take him to Pilate. We can't put him to death. We need to, we need to go to Pilate and ask for Roman permission to have them put him to death. And if we don't do that tomorrow morning, the next day's Passover, and we're going to have to wait even longer. And the longer this guy continues spewing his doctrine, and the, and the more he's leading people away, the harder and harder it's going to be for us to dispatch of him. But their hatred was so great, they kept seeking. It's ironic here that they were bending the law to defend the law. They were defending the law by bending the law because their hearts were so hardened and their eyes were so blinded to the truth of who Jesus was. Confrontation. But there's also the attempted discrediting of Jesus. Those who try to slander his character and the character of of his followers we read this in verses 57 through 59 says some stood up and began to give false testimony against him saying we heard him say i will destroy this temple first of all jesus never said that we read that nowhere in mark's gospel and the only way we in some ways read of that in mark's gospel is back in chapter 13 remember he talks about there's not going to be one stone of this temple that will not be overturned it says, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple and made with hands three days. I will build another with, made without hands. The closest statement that we find of that in the Gospels is in the Gospel of John. Chapter 2, Jesus says this, destroy this temple. He didn't say, I'm going to. He just said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? And then John gives this statement, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that. He said this. They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. You see, they were giving false testimony against him. They were trying to take his words and twist it. They were trying to make Jesus say something he never really said because that fit their agenda. Don't we see that today, Christians? People are saying, well, you know, Jesus really supports this, and here's the evidence. In, in the Scripture, he, he makes this claim, and, and therefore that must mean this. And so they take his words out of context, and they twist it for their agenda. It happened then. It happens today. People attempting to discredit the Son of God. This week I was asked... Uh, to enter into a Facebook debate. Somebody had sent me a friend request, and I noticed they had several friends in common, and they were from Winchester. I said, okay, I'll, I'll accept their friend request. And then they messaged me, and, and they said, feel free to interject into my last Facebook post. And I was like, okay, what was your last Facebook post? And so I went back and looked. This person was a believer, a Christian, and they said, I believe in God. And some folks came on there and began to argue. And there were several posts, I mean dozens and dozens of people going back and forth, back and forth, 
you know, raving against Jesus, raving against religion, and people defending Jesus and defending religion. And my response to this individual is what I've said to you all on several occasions. Rarely does such type of debating online ever render anything fruitful. The only thing really it does is serve to anger folks, uh, and literally it because becomes more troublesome than it is helpful. And so my response was I would prefer to sit down with somebody face-to-face and have a calm, rational conversation and be able to hear their point of view, give my point of view, and be able to do so without the, the buffer of a computer screen where people say and do things they typically would not say in person. It just goes to show that that hostility against Jesus, the hostility against his followers, it didn't end. It didn't end 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. It continues today. Jesus says, if they hate you, remember they hated me first. And if you follow Jesus, you likewise will suffer this type of persecution. Prepare, therefore, for confrontation. But also, in those situations, provide a confession. A confession. Be ready to articulate with your mouth the truth of Christ and His identity. Who is Jesus? Be ready and willing to speak up and share a good testimony. They were giving a false testimony about Jesus. Will anyone give an accurate testimony about Jesus in our story today? Well, we see that, first of all, play out before us. He is the suffering servant. Who is Jesus? He is the suffering servant that was predicted in the Old Testament. He was willing to fulfill his destiny. Verse 60, it says, The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned him, saying, Do you not answer? What is it these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Isaiah 53, in speaking about the the suffering servant of God, said, And he was silent as a lamb before his shearers. How Jesus perfectly fits that prophecy about one who was a servant of God who would come and willingly suffer on behalf of God for God's people. You see, Jesus understood that was his identity, but yet the, the Jews could not grasp that concept. If he's supposed to be the Messiah, he's supposed to be this great, powerful deliverer, this political figure, this military force, this general who has come to conquer Rome, and here is this guy not even, not even speaking up in his defense, allowing himself to be led away in bondage, telling his disciples, put away the sword. How can this man be our deliverer? They could not grasp that. But yet Jesus is the suffering servant. But not only that, he is the supreme son, which makes that first point even more magnificent. How can the supreme son of God be the suffering servant? But yet that is Jesus We see the high priest is fed up in verse 61 and he asks him again and he questions him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now, the way this is written in the Greek, it's really amazing because the you there is emphatic and it's written as a statement, not necessarily a question. It's intended to be a question. But the high priest here 
in essence says, you are the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One. And it's amazing here that this enemy of Jesus, this one who is wanting to dispatch of Jesus, he despises Jesus, but yet they bring in all this false testimony and here the high priest from his own lips makes the most accurate Christological statement about Jesus in this whole trial. You, the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One, in other words, another way of saying the Son of God, and Jesus responds. But it's interesting. We read Mark's Gospel. This isn't the first time Jesus is identified as the Christ, is it? Remember back in chapter 1, verse 1, we said that's the key to interpreting the whole Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're told right off the bat, Mark makes this statement. Mark makes this confession. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Chosen One, the Savior. Right off the bat, we're told that. Then as the Gospel unfolds, we get into chapter 8, and Jesus asks His disciples, Who do you say that I am? Verse 29, Peter responds and says, You are the Christ. So the author confesses Jesus. A disciple, Peter, confesses Jesus. Now we see a high priest, a Jew, confessing Jesus. And it's not the last time. As the gospel unfolds, there's going to be a Gentile, a Roman centurion, who also makes this true confession. The author, a disciple, a Jew, a Gentile, all peoples, by the time the gospel is finished, all people identifying Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. He is the Supreme Son. And by virtue of being the Supreme Son and the suffering servant, we see in verse 62, He is the Sovereign Savior. He could not be the Sovereign Savior if He were not the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God. He could not be the Sovereign Savior unless He was willing to be the Suffering Servant. By virtue of those points, He is the Sovereign Savior. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, I am. Ego me. I am. Which by way of remembrance, when Moses asked God, Exodus chapter 3, what is your name? God responded, I am. Jesus making this statement in essence was declaring, I am. I am the Son of God. I am God. I am God in the flesh. He said, I am. But then he goes on to say, even more clarifying this, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. He is combining here two Old Testament texts. One talking about, sit at my right hand, I'll make your enemies your footstool. And the other from Daniel chapter 7. Coming before the Ancient of Days, I saw the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I am. I am the Sovereign Savior. I am the Ancient, or I am the Son of Man. I am the one who has promised that my enemies will be my footstool, and you shall see this. You shall see this. Of course, they will see this at the end of times when Jesus returns. But they will see this 
when Jesus is vindicated by his Father through the resurrection. It's also interesting, throughout Mark's Gospel, Jesus, when he's identified, tells people, don't tell nobody. Don't tell nobody I'm the Messiah. Don't tell nobody. But here, the secret's out the bag. Why? Because the identity of the Messiah is now tied into suffering. Now that the cross is in the picture, Jesus says, okay, I'm the Messiah, and it includes this cross. I told you earlier, they could not comprehend how those two things fit together, but now Jesus is saying, I am. I am. Because the cross is coming. This past Wednesday night in celebration of Reformation Day, which is October 31st, we began watching the movie Luther here in the sanctuary, and we'll try to finish that up tonight. But in the movie here, we see that Luther is making a confession about Christ. And in 1521, he is brought into the German town of Worms, brought before the the emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles of Spain, he is asked to recant, revaco, the Latin word. Just say one word, this will all go away. Luther asked for 24 hours. He says, give me 24 hours and I'll give you my answer. And what he was doing in those 24 hours was making sure before I make this testimony about my belief in Christ. I need to make sure I am right, that I'm on the right side, because if I am opposing the Holy Roman Emperor, I am opposing the church. I need to make sure I am correct in this. He spent all nights in prayer and in writing, seeking the direction of God. And that's true for us. Before you make a confession about Jesus, get into the Word Read the Word. Find out for yourself what the Bible has to say about Christ, who He is and what He has done. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with Jesus. How can you confess Jesus? How can you be a witness for Jesus when you're not even close to Jesus? This is important stuff we're dealing with. Provide a confession, but provide an accurate confession by spending time with the Lord in in His Word. And finally, you need to prepare to uh, persevere in condemnation. The outcome of refusing to deny the faith. There will be confrontation. You give a confession and you had better expect condemnation to come from the enemies of the Lord just as Jesus faced condemnation. As there was then and also today, there will be anger. Verse 63, the high priest tears his clothes, a a sign of grief, a sign of shock, a sign of righteous indignation from his part, tearing of the clothes. He says, what further need do we have of witnesses? Same word, testimony. We don't need anybody else to testify anything else. There was disbelief over this man's stubborn resolve. This man would dare say he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. How dare he? And there will be those, when you point to Christ, 
and you say he is the Savior, he is the Son of God, there will be those who will be angry at this. How dare you make such a statement? How dare you point towards this man, Jesus? There will be anger. There will be accusations. Verse 64, he says, You have heard the blasphemy. This man says, I am. This man says that he is the Son of Man and and that we will see this. He is the Son of the Blessed One. How does it seem to you blasphemy, claiming equality with God. And notice at 64 it says, they all condemned him to be deserving of death. The accusations, and ironically, the false accusations didn't work. But the only person in the story that was a true witness was Jesus, and all it took was his one accurate confession. The truth the truth was enough to have him accused of blasphemy. This man is lying. He is not God. And there will be those who accuse you of following a false God, a false religion, a false Savior. His testimony succeeded where theirs failed. He was viewed as a threat. There will be those who view you as a threat because of your confession of Christ. In 64, it says, they all condemned him. They all gathered against him. They all condemned him. The disciples all fled. His enemies all condemned. There was Jesus truly standing alone. Standing alone. There will be accusations. Finally, there will be assault. They all condemned him. And it says, some began to spit at him and blindfold him, beat him with their fists and say to him prophesy others received him the officers received him with slaps in the face varying degrees of persecution Jesus faced it you will too whether it be emotional persecution mockery of your faith physical persecution assault, suffering may not happen right here right now but it happens all over the world today folks physical assault for people who take a stand for Christ and it may come may come to America one day if it does we've got to be prepared are you willing to take that stand for Christ and on the one hand we might say if I suffer for Jesus that must mean I'm not doing something right because God would not allow me to suffer if I was following him and if he loved me But interestingly, Jesus had this to say about persecution. Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said the people of God have been persecuted in the past, being persecuted now. They always will be until Christ returns. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the cause of Christ. Read about this in the book of Acts. The disciples arrested for preaching Jesus. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 42. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them, they, they whipped them, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Christ, and then released them. 
So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You see, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for me. Why? Because Jesus was persecuted. And in some ways, if we're not being persecuted, maybe we're not confessing him as we ought. Because if you get out and you confess to folks, Jesus is the Christ, you must repent of your sin. You must humble yourself and trust in him. There will be folks who are offended by that. There will be. The gospel is offensive. It tells people, you're bad. You can't fix it. You need help. Jesus is the help. You've got to surrender to him. That is offensive, and people don't want to hear that. And if you are telling enough people that truth, somebody will take offense. Somebody will persecute you, if not with their hands, surely with their mouth. Martin Luther was asked to recant in 1521. Reportedly, this is what he said after his 24 hours to pray over it. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. He understood if he was in the will of God and he was going to suffer for it, the only way he could keep that stand is if God were to help him. So like Martin Luther's example and especially like the example of Christ in our text today, by God's grace, take a stand for the truth of Christ regardless of the outcome. Elaine mentioned during our prayer time today all the political ads that were on, all the mudslinging, and if you've been listening or watching the debates, there's, there's all kinds of blame going around. Who's responsible for this mess? This party, this party, this person, that person. There's a lot of blame to go around. We all know that. There's a lot of blame to go around. So we might ask ourselves this question. Who is responsible for the death of Christ? Who's responsible for this injustice? On one hand, we might say, well, Jesus was sentenced by the Jews. We read that in our text today. The, the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews, Jesus was sentenced by the Jews. We might say, well, Jesus was sentenced by the Romans. He appears before Pilate because the Jews did not have the authority underneath Roman control to exercise capital punishments. So it was Pilate and the Romans. Jesus was sentenced by the Romans. But in some ways, we might say Jesus was sentenced by the sinners, by you, by me. You see, if it were not for our sin, there would be no need for a Savior. There would be no need for suffering. Jesus was sentenced by us. But in reality, in the deepest sense, Jesus was sentenced by the Father, by His Heavenly Father. You see, there was no one more acquainted with the innocence of the Son of God than the Heavenly Father. No one knew more so how innocent and sinless 
and undeserving of death Jesus was than the Father. But yet, Peter preaches this, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross, Jews, by the hands of godless men, Romans, and put him to death. And we say right there, yeah. The Jews, the Romans. And there have been people all throughout world history that have taken up that cause and said, we must hate the Jews. They killed Jesus. But notice what Peter said to the Jews about Jesus. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Ultimately, it was his heavenly Father who designed this plan of salvation if my people are to be saved an innocent sacrifice a substitute must stand in for them and there is no one more worthy and sinless and righteous than my son it was the will of God Isaiah 53 said it was the it was God's good pleasure to crush him for our iniquities. Sermon was titled, The Great Injustice. What makes it so great? Well, it was great because of the degree. Here was an innocent man condemned to death. It was a great injustice. But yet it's great for us because of the effects for us. Our salvation was purchased because of this unjust sentencing God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him let's pray Lord we come before you once again confessing Christ confessing he is the son of God he is the son of the blessed one he is the Christ the Messiah the Savior he is the only way the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world Lord what a wonderful magnificent plan of salvation Father we are in awe of you and your love for us that you would condemn your only begotten son we stand in awe we are overwhelmed by the love of Christ even though his disciples all abandoned him even though one disciple betrayed him even though one disciple will deny him he willingly was led away and led to the cross no greater love no greater love and Lord, we stand here today embracing that truth, that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that confession that has stood for 2,000 years and it stands today and it will stand for all eternity. As Luther said, here I stand. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Lord, we will face confrontation. We will face persecution. 
because this world hates Jesus. This world hates the truth. But God, by Your grace, help us to make a true testimony, a true witness for Christ. Almighty God, if there be one here today, if there be someone within the sound of my voice listening to this message that had never trusted in Jesus, Lord, I plead, I plead, God, send Your Holy Spirit upon them right now. Regenerate them. Give them life. Let them see the light. Draw them to Christ before it is too late. Lord, during this time of decision, as we think about who you are and what you've done for us, we plead, have your own way, Jesus. For some, that might mean walking the aisle today, confessing Christ and being baptized in obedience to Him. For somebody here today, it might mean the Lord has called me to join this church. I am a believer, and this is where He would have me serve and have me worship for some, it might mean rededicating their life, coming back to Christ and renewing that commitment. For someone, for someone, perhaps it is a call to the mission field. We talked about the importance of missions earlier. Maybe somebody called to missions or to preach the word. Lord, whatever decision needs to be made, you are in control. Have your own way as we yield ourselves and surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing this, our invitation here.